the SHSS podcast. Let's talk learning. Today we have Holly Kearns, TD for the SHSS podcast. Hi Holly, how are you? I'm good. Hi Aoife, hi Kurt. Thank you for having me in today. It's great to have you here. Um, Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself first? God, what to say. Um, I'm Holly. I'm 31 years old. I grew up in West Cork on a small farm. Um, I lived abroad for years. I think a lot of people left West Cork around the time I finished school because it was a recession. Um, And I always wanted to come home because I love West Cork. Uh, So I did that about, it must be seven years ago now. Came back to take on my family farm and business. We do organic vegetable seed production. Um, And then I accidentally ended up politics. Um, I have three sisters and two brothers. What was your best memory of your school days? Best memory, that's tricky. I don't think there's one particular one that stands out, but like when I was going to school, I lived for lunchtime. To be honest, I wasn't, you know, the best student in the class. I always got by or whatever, but I wasn't mad into the academic side of things, I have to admit. Um, I loved the kind of social aspect of it. And I suppose my favourite subject was English. That was the one subject that I actually did well in um, and really enjoyed. And I suppose when I think back and it's like, you know, things like doing the Christmas concert or being involved in a different project. I liked that kind of community feel to it, I think, or being on the sports teams. You know, I loved football. Um, one of the highlights, I think, was I remember uh, in transition year, uh, like you guys are in now, uh, there was an opportunity for two students to fundraise uh, money to go to Calcutta in India uh, to work with uh, disadvantaged communities there basically so I did that and I think at that age like I wouldn't be like oh that was the time of my life it was really quite traumatic actually to see but what it did give me was perspective you know to realize how lucky we are and I think that was a really good lesson at that age the same age that you guys are now um, so that stands out as well although I wouldn't be like that is the most fun thing I ever did it wasn't really like that. <laughs> what did you study at college and why? Um, when I finished school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and I just thought, well, I better do something, you know, like I felt like everybody else was really sure of what they wanted. And I felt kind of a bit lost then as a result, because I didn't really know. Um, so I did like health studies and then I worked, uh, in specifically the, the, the part of that that I ended up interested in was disability. So, uh, worked for years abroad in disability support services and, did some teaching of health studies in like further education colleges as well for a while. Um, and it was when I came home to take on the family farm business that I decided to do a master's then. So I did that in organic horticulture in UCC. And I suppose it's relevant to where I am now because, you know, I was very mobilized by our social referendums, marriage equality, and then, um, the repeal the eighth referendum that really got me into politics but those injustices were kind of put right so that wasn't the motivation to continue but doing my master's in organics and in horticulture was a real kind of eye-opener in terms of where we're at like with climate change the disastrous kind of impacts of it and really what's coming down the line and that is in my view, the biggest injustice that we're facing. So that was really the motivation to continue into politics. So it did have kind of quite a big impact. And actually, just a note to anybody as well who might have been a bit like me in school, maybe not the best in the class or not sure what they wanted to do. 
Um, I didn't get great results in school. Um, I did go on to get a first class honours and a Master of Science, so it's never too late. <laughs> in the early days of your political career, um, you advocated for LGBTQ+. Because of the blatant injustice, you know, um, for people to not be able to marry somebody that they love, um, objectively is outrageous. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I actually ever did something political, and I would say it was before I was interested in politics. I didn't see, although, you know, it turns out that everything's political, isn't it? But um, I remember the first time I ever canvassed, you know, knocked on doors or asked people to vote a certain way was during the presidential election when there was... Um, uh, a, a man standing who's a gay man who's always a really good advocate for marriage equality. So I thought that if he got elected, we'd have the best chance of changing that. Um, so that was the first time I ever got into it. And I just remember like, you know, that my aunt couldn't marry her long-term girlfriend. I just found it really offensive and unfair. So yeah, it's just that injustice. And brings me back to that, then there was the injustice around uh, women having control of their bodies. And now we have this huge injustice around climate change because ultimately it's your generation who are going to bear the brunt of our very poor decision-making and short-termism. What effect has your gender had in your career and has this inspired you to fight for women's rights in Ireland? Yeah, it's had a really big impact on my career, actually. Um, more than I would have thought. And now I think we all knew that politics in Ireland was a man's world. Um, oftentimes, you know, I look around the dull chamber, I could be the only woman in there. We've very low percentage of women. Um, for context, I'm the only female public representative for in representing Cork and the Oireachtas. That's all of Cork City and County, all of the senators and all of the TDs, just one woman. Um, and representation so important, and it's all in the words, like how are 50% of the population so underrepresented? And I think it has a, had a real impact not just on those day-to-day -day experiences of you know so often being the minority in workplaces that I'm in uh, but also in the work that I've ended up doing um you know perhaps because there isn't that many female representatives maybe we get more of those issues coming into the office you know we've done so much work since getting elected the amount of work um that has been quite related to women's issues like for example during the pandemic loads of stuff was going down we all remember that but you know, it really came to light the the amount of refuge spaces that we have for domestic violence in this country. Um, so there's like, actually, I won't go into too much detail on that, but it's outrageous the way Ireland has managed this. And so we're doing a lot of work with that throughout the pandemic to try and support people who need it um, and to try and change government policy ultimately on this to ensure it never happens again. Um, then we had the issue with maternity restrictions um, you know, that women are still giving birth alone and in many scenarios, but, you know, you'd be able to go to a nightclub on the 22nd of October. What we've seen, like, in Ireland, I think we've very checkered past with uh, women's health care and women's rights. And it's become very clear to me since becoming a TD that it's still an afterthought. And in that sense, we're still kind of treated as second-class citizens. So when we needed to make changes to the legislation around the reopening of hospitality, we saw late night meetings, the Attorney General and staff and all of the departments working very late nights to make sure that this was sorted out. Never was that level of urgency given to maternity wards and the really harrowing experiences that women are still going through. And never up until today, I've been raising this issue in the door for a year now, and sometimes I'll get things on social media, all Holly ever talks about are women's issues, which like for one isn't true, 
Uh, for two, yes, I talk about them a lot. But that is 50% of the population. It's not like I'm representing this small minority. Um, but yeah, I suppose it has an impact on uh, me being a woman in the job, but also on the work that I do every day. Um, because, you know, the more I do it, the more I realize how underrepresented we are, the more work I want to do, it on, do on it. And uh, I thoroughly enjoy it, I have to say, because at my core, I'm a feminist. And I think sometimes we can feel like, you know feminism sounds like angry crazed women like the definition of feminism is believing in gender equality so if you're not a feminist ultimately you're a sexist and I think we need to normalize that world and feel proud there's nothing hysterical or dramatic about wanting equality for 50 percent of the population I'm very adamant that the kind of um, attitude towards feminism can sometimes make you feel like you're being ridiculous or being put down so just want to assure everyone that you're not there's nothing dramatic about that <laughs> What's your stance on the student housing crisis at the moment? I mean, it's absolutely outrageous and particularly affects areas like Cork Southwest because it's not an option for us to like commute to college as easily as people who live in more built up areas where there's universities. Like we have to move out of home often. It's part of life when you're from a rural area like this, like going to college goes hand in hand with moving out and it's a big step and it's really difficult and it's really challenging oftentimes for parents to be able to afford that it's the reality it's always been really expensive and as the housing crisis has just escalated and gotten worse and worse and worse this is having an even more profound impact on families students and parents and their families and it's just a disgrace and you know um Keanu Callaghan who's the housing spokesperson in my party has been doing loads of issues on this and we've put forward our alternative budget this week ultimately we need a rent freeze, we need to build 10,000 affordable and social homes, we need to stop giving favourable treatment to vulture funds so they keep investing in this very profitable market for themselves. We need to start prioritising, you know, public interest over private and ultimately, you know, that comes into every policy area, housing, health, agriculture, that we have a history of all of our departments being dogged by vested interests. And, you know, there's an aversion to change that because some people benefit from it, but most of us don't. Um, and that's why I got into politics to really try and change it because we need systematic change and a priority shift. Um, and, you know, there is the, the, the really annoying and awful and harrowing thing about the housing crisis is that there is solutions. There's recommendations from the ERSI, from the central bank that aren't taken on that aren't put into action and ultimately everyone's suffering as a result so we need to change that and that's why it was great to go into the classes today encourage people to vote because um, and I'm not saying vote for me everyone has different opinions and stances but to have your voices heard I think you know it's so important to vote for, for whatever it is that you think um, is the best option because it shapes all of our futures and our lives so much down to things like that can you afford to go to university would you like to describe a typical day in your life? They're so varied. Like it's, a, it's an interesting job that way. And I really love that about it. It's quite unpredictable. Um, it's quite uh, busy is the way that I describe it. Um, for example, I'll take a day this week. So on Wednesday, started off with committee meetings. I'm on two committees, the Disability Matters Committee and the Children, Equality, Integration uh, and Youth Committee. Um, so spent a good few hours on, on them every week. Um, we have private committees and we have public sessions. We get expert witnesses and people with lived experience to come in and inform the committee. Um, we scrutinize legislation before it goes to the, the doll. 
Um, so lots of time and lots of work goes into that. Um, it's budget time. So this week I spent lots of time on um, in-person and uh, Zoom meetings with, for example, the Disability Federation of Ireland, um, with St. Vincent de Paul, with the Grain Growers um, Association in Ireland, with different farming groups and organisations, um, with you know, people working in the childcare sector with secondary school teachers, um, all of these different organisations to understand and hear what uh, would improve the services they're providing and, you know, make sure they're in, you know, in the case of the people in the childcare sector and um, secondary school teachers, it's all about, you know, student-centred focus and that, you know, for the most part, teachers, what I've, what I've experienced, love doing their job it's the underfunding, it's the different challenges, the staff shortages, all of those things that make it really challenging. So it was a week of trying to, you know, inform ourselves from different people on the ground, different lived experiences of how we can push to make this budget better and fairer and um, how to prioritise, you know, what's the most urgent, what's the most important. Um, and then this week as well, obviously, I mentioned I've been raising the maternity restrictions in hospitals for over a year now and unbelievably this week it came to a point where we decided to take to the streets in March so we had a march for maternity outside Leinster House it's quite incredible um so this is all in one day and then um yeah back for more meetings and then I went on to the Tonight Show that night um that kicks off at 10 o'clock at night finished at 11 um so like on that particular day I literally didn't get a chance to eat which I would not recommend and if I go back I would have made time but that is the kind of day that you might have uh in the life of a TD, it is very busy and stressful. Like before I go on TV, I get so nervous that like I'm sweating, like yeah, like that. Like even if I had time to eat, I probably couldn't have. You know, we absolutely bricking it. And then when you finish, it's like you almost get this like come down from the nerves and the you know they'd be absolutely exhausted the next day. And then it's back into the disability committee at nine o'clock the next morning. Uh, when I finished that day, then I had a four and a half hour drive back from Dublin to West Cork. And then up this morning for meetings with uh, local or regional newspapers and then up here to speak to you guys. So it's just a kind of non-stop but very rewarding role. And, you know, a lot of the time those things that we were talking about can really take the energy out of you. But, for example, coming to the school here today has been uh, you get more energy from those kind of visits. So you live for those things as well. And um, now that we're out of the pandemic, I'm excited to visit all the schools. This is my first um, because I am quite taken by all your work all of your teachers, all of the students, it's incredible the stuff that you do, the mental health initiatives, the environmental ones. Um, and having been here for the transition year graduation, we just thought we'll start with that. <laughs> what are the highs and the lows of your job? Probably kind of covered them actually for the most part in the last uh, question, I think. So um, yeah, it's both and I would highly recommend it. I think sometimes you can feel like it's a deterrent for women to go into politics. You hear a lot of the negatives, but it is so rewarding and so nice to go from just in my case constantly complaining to actually being able to do something. Do you have any future plans? Yeah ultimately uh, I didn't get into politics to go into opposition I'm in an opposition party at the moment um, but future plans are that I really like to go into government um, and affect change from that place. Um, you know I'm I'm always torn between what, what, you know, there's only so much you can do. My mum's always telling me, you can't die on every cross. You know, if you were to take up every single issue, you won't have an impact on all of them. So to kind of pick your battles. And I think that's good advice, regardless of what job you're in. She's always said that to me. And I think it's a really good piece of advice. Um, 
So one of the things that I'm really interested in is agriculture. Um, obviously growing up on a farm and doing my master's in it. But when we think about climate change, and I said that I think it's the biggest injustice facing us. Ireland is unique in that one third of our emissions come from the agriculture sector in Ireland. Uh, it's the single largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, we're very unique in a European context. And so in tackling that, um, you know, we, we have to do a lot of work and there's a lot of science to show that we can make really positive changes. Um, and I've always just been so baffled by the government's response and approach to this, which is saying like, you know, if you want to change agriculture policy to make it more environmental, essentially you're anti-farmer. And I mean, there's never heard anything so ridiculous. No sector has more at stake than the agriculture sector. And the result of the kind of government's approach has been to make the communities that will be most affected by climate change the most resistant to climate action. And like we talked about earlier, really, it, this is only benefiting a few big private companies, not farmers, not the next generation, not the future of the sector, um, something I'm really determined to change. And then since getting into um, getting becoming a TD, there's other things that I've become really passionate about that I've encountered through that. That was kind of really the motivation to, to do this in the first place, I suppose, the agriculture part of it. Um, but, you know, the amount of women's issues that we need to address, we need to increase female participation across the board. Um, and then there's a lot of issues around, you know, historical abuse in Ireland that have yet to be resolved that I've ended up putting a lot of time and work and all of my team have as well. Um, so, I mean, future plans, we need to grow the party. I'm in a really young party and that is in many ways unfortunate, you know, when you want to govern and you want to have a majority government, you want to implement policy, we need to get bigger. But we've grown really fast and I think we take that job really seriously. It's the time for social democracy across Europe. We're seeing social democratic governments being elected because people believe in, you know, healthcare at the point of need rather than how much you can afford it. In Ireland, we're used to paying 50 or 60 euros to go to the GDP. Um, now is the time for social democracy and it's an unfortunate that we're such a young party. But in a way, I've learned in politics that like, being inexperienced, having no political background or interest before ending up in this has been my biggest weakness, but also my biggest strength. So I'm not convinced that we won't get there quickly because having that fresh perspective and sometimes I think a bit more down to earthness with that, like you're not in this, this is how it's done in politics. Oh, well, it's always been this way. If you just come in and say, well, why would you do it like that? Sometimes that's the most important question and it's never been asked. So. Um, as much as we've loads of work to do, I think we're in a strong position. We can use that um, to our strength rather than always see it as a, a flaw. Do you have a hero? Do I have a hero? Um, oh, that's so tricky. Do you know, and this, I don't actually mean for this to sound cheesy, which it might, but like, um, I feel like I come from a long line of powerful women. So like, um, I'm just going to mention my two grannies. This does sound cheesy, but it's actually true. So one of my grandmother's um, this is one of my mum's side. She was a young woman during World War II living in Dublin. And, you know, she figured, obviously, if Hitler takes the UK, he's going to take Ireland. So, like, she really wanted to sign up to the army. And her parents wouldn't let her because obviously they were worried about it. They didn't want to go off to the army. So when she was 21 years old, when they couldn't actually stop her, she ran away. She got the train to Belfast and uh, trained up with the Royal Air Force. And she was in the first group of female electricians ever. She used to wire the bombs into the planes. Um, she was just, 
like I'll never be as badass as my granny. Do you know what I mean? She's just a really strong woman and, you know, real feminist for her time in that sense to go away and do that. And um, one of the unbelievable things, like she didn't come back then until she was in her 30s kind of. And uh, when she got married, she wasn't allowed to wear a dress because she was too old. She was considered on the shelf. Um, so it took a strong character to go through that at that time and to not come back earlier and get married like her family and society would have wanted her to. And then on my dad's side, my grandmother, um, who's still alive, one of the best things about being in Dublin is I get to visit her quite a lot. Um, but she, uh, at a time when, you know, it was very frowned upon for women to be pregnant outside of marriage in Ireland and they were uh, incarcerated in, into institutions and oftentimes their children were illegally sold abroad um, there was forced family separation, really horrific stuff happened to women back then and we're still dealing with the fallout from that. But at that time my grandmother used to take women and girls uh, or bring them into her home and look after them during their pregnancy so they wouldn't have to go into those institutions and experience that. And she helped form a charity with Mary Robinson who became the president um, to help protect women and girls from those institutions. Um, so I've been really inspired by them and like that's not to even get me started on my own mother. Um, so I think like they probably are my heroes, to be honest with you. Do you have um, a favourite motto? If you want change, vote for it. Also, to be honest, one of the things I say to myself a lot, and I don't know how positive this will sound, but I mean it in a positive way, like that if I'm nervous going on the TV, going into the doll, going into a meeting or any of those things, fake it till you make it. It does work. <laughs> I listened to a podcast about confidence the other day and it was one of the key things that like if you're scared of something and you continue to do it that is how you build confidence so just telling yourself the more I do this the better I'm going to get at it fake it till you make it is another way of saying that um but it is effective and I think we all struggle with those things and feeling insecure and feeling scared and not feeling like you can or you have the confidence uh, but ultimately you can you're in charge of that <laughs> and any advice you'd give to your teenage self yep plenty like now I'm 31 uh my best friends are still the girls that I met in primary and secondary school. Um, there's nothing like those friends that you make at that age. You can never grow up with people again. Um, so to, I suppose, value that, value each other and uh, know that you might be friends forever. It's a nice and comforting thought. Um, one of the things I would always say to teenagers as well is to be nice to your parents, like they're always doing their best. Um, everyone's parents are annoying, um, but, you know, the older you get as well, the more you realise how amazing they are and how much they do for you. So give them time. Um, everything they're doing is pretty much for you at this point. So appreciate them, spend time with them. Um, and I kind of referenced it earlier, but the other tip I would have is to, if you don't know what you want to do yet, that's fine. <laughs> um, there's huge pressure to know exactly what you want to do at, at around this age. And by this age, by I mean yours, not mine. There's certainly an expectation that you'd know by mine, but... It took me until I was, you know, 29 to go into politics. Um, I loved working in disability. Uh, before then I worked in teaching, I loved all of it. But don't be afraid to change and keep going until you find something that really suits you and don't feel like you need to know now. Most people don't. Before we let you go, can we just ask you whether you follow Simon Harris on TikTok? I don't follow Simon Harris on TikTok. But you know what? I'm only new to TikTok. Uh, I'm not even sure how it works. And then the other day, I forgot my password. Um, so I'm just hoping one of the team remember what I set the password as because we were together at the time. Um, but no, like, you know, there's a, 
thin line as well. No, this is important. Like it's important to communicate with all of your, uh, the people that you represent on social media. Um, so like, it's really valuable to be on all the different social media platforms and engage with all the different age groups because we don't hear enough from young people in the political sphere. And that is really important. That's why we set up a TikTok account. Um, but the way that we try and do it is very much like, you know, we do things like surveys that young people can engage with, send us messages, things like that. Um, we don't want to become an influencer, you know, on TikTok, you know, because I think that's just going in a direction that's like pure shameless boat getting that we're not going to do. Thank you so much and we hope you have a really nice day and thank you for your time, Holly. Thanks, Holly. Thank you so much, Ethan Court. Uh, really enjoyed chatting to you today and yeah, have a great weekend. Bye.